everybody. Welcome to the Lifetime Training Podcast. And this episode today is going to be fantastic. There is so much out there with regard to hormone therapy and whether it's good, bad, how to do it right. And, you know, there's clinics popping up everywhere. I'm here in Arizona and I see them on every corner popping up almost right now. And I think there's a lot of junk out there uh, as well as, you know, getting it straight from the source. So I have got two amazing guests. One you may have heard before, Mr. Jim Lavelle, who's a clinical pharmacist, board certified clinical nutritionist, academic co-chair at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, founder of the Metabolic Code, and recently the clinical director of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Performance Health Program. But also today we've got uh, Dr. Um, Doreen Salti, Saltiel, I'm sorry, um, who's a, a double board boarded physician, attorney, uh, New York. Uh, she went to New York Medical College, uh, was a doctor at the Army and the chief of cardi- cardiology in Augusta, Georgia. And, you know, more recently now, or actually not more recently, probably for a while has, you know, basically devoted her life to understanding hormone health for both men and women. So I can't thank you enough. I had to get all that out without messing it up too much. <laughs> Pretty good there, Jason. That's good. Your hormones must be intact. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> but thank you both so much for coming on. And, you know, let's just jump right in. I guess, you know, so many people think about this, you know, and they have so many different perceptions. And that's really the goal of today is one, understand the real science behind what's going on and how, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, and, you know, how to go about this right. Um, and, and, you know, you may have clients out there, if you're a trainer or nutritionist that might be doing this and how do you, you know, work within them and understand what's going on there. Uh, so um, let's jump in. And, and I think it's a great place to start uh, where, you know, just giving a basic overview of the stress and sex hormones, which are called the steroid hormones. And I think you put steroid on anything and people start to freak out and, you know, oh my God, what am I doing here? Um, so if we could diffuse that myth, I think we, it's a great place to start. Well, I'll, I'll give a little bit to that because I think Doreen's going to have a lot more value to add as we get moving forward. I mean, both of us work, uh, Doreen's been replacing hormones with patients for how many years now, uh, Doreen? I don't know, 15. Yeah. And li- likewise, I, w- in our clinic, starting in Ohio, Jason, where you, where you first saw our work uh, with Dr. P- Pelletier, we were doing hormone replacement likewise 15, 20 years ago. So we've been at it for a while. What I, what I love about our discussion today is talking about the rational approach. And one of the things that does throw things off is your stress hormones. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you pump out a lot of cortisol, it actually inhibits a couple of you know, important uh, hormonal messengers. One's called gonadotropin-releasing hormone. So as cortisol goes up, you, make, you inhibit gonadotropin-releasing hormone. So that means you're going to make less testosterone and less estradiol if you're a woman. It also shuts down something called growth hormone releasing hormone. So your growth hormone goes down at the same time. Mm-hmm. So when you're under chronic stress, um, your body either has to say stress is important or procreation is important. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of the two, right? Yeah. You're either safe and secure and you can uh, you can bring the race forward yeah. uh, or you're you know running from a white tiger and it's saying, hey, don't worry about these sex hormones. We got other things to do right now. Uh, and that's kind of what the the basic of it, what happens. Doreen, I'll let you add to it from there. I just, uh, that's kind of the basic basics of it. And would you say also too, and Doreen, you may add there is, is that it, I mean, I guess evolutionary is which, which one will the body 
go towards first or is it become more of a habitual pattern? I mean, stress versus sex. I mean, I think it makes sense to me that body will probably handle the stress over the, over the sex. That's correct. The body will always address a stressor because you need that cortisol to live and the body always wants to find that balance where they can rest, digest, and then procreate. Got it. Got it. Got it. So any anything else, Doreen, that, that you can add to just giving them an understanding of what these sex and stress hormones are and and really what happens to them, you know, as we age, and then we'll get into some other factors as well. Well, in general, uh, as cortisol, which is the stress hormone, uh, goes up, everything else kind of slows down to basically preferential. Preferen- uh, pre- preferentially um, deal with that stressor. Got it. And as we age and as hormone levels decrease, that's a stressor in and of itself. Got it. Got and it. so the body always tries to balance stress with rest. Got it. And in those hormones, uh, obviously that, I mean, that's what a lot of people I think also don't understand is the importance of things like growth hormone and testosterone um, in, in their ability to help people recover. I mean, that's at the end of the day, what, you know, a main piece of that is. And, and, you know, I've also heard that, you know, obviously, as you're saying is one goes up, the other comes down. So it's almost like a, this vicious cycle, right? So now what happens is you've got high cortisol chronically, and then that's going to suppress the estrogen and the, and the testosterone and, and the growth hormone, which are hormones that can help combat the stress. Is that correct? Yeah. When they're balanced, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, testosterone is an, uh, an immune modulator. It's called, it's mm-hmm. an anti-inflammatory as is estradiol. And so when balanced uh, hormones uh, help with in essence, balancing that stress response. And remember you don't have to be running away from a white tiger. It could be as simple as over-exercising. Mm-hmm. That is a stressor. Yep. And that's not what was- getting enough sleep. That is a stressor. Eating a poor diet. That is a stressor. Got it. Yeah. And that, that's what I was going to get into is, is, you know, the environment, you can call them environmental factors or what you're doing, uh, you know, you know, within the, the environment, also what you're putting in your mouth, you know, again, exercise, emotional, obviously it could be money. Any of those things all cause the body to react basically the same way. Correct. Yeah. 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 It, could be, yeah. it could be positive stress. It could be, yeah. you have a successful business and you're working 12 hours a day and you're excited because everything's going on, but your brain doesn't really understand good stress or bad stress and understand stress. Got it. Okay? You know, and when you, and when you're not sleeping well, not only do you kind of turn off that sex hormone production because of excess cortisol, but you know, you start to affect other hormones that are working with your sex hormones. It's kind of sad that we call them they're, they're sex hormones, but they used to be called back when, oh gosh, when I went through school, secondary sex hormones. And it's so important that, that to realize that eh, if your testosterone's on your man, your all cause mortality risks go up. You know, your risk of heart disease goes up. Um, actually, if you have a surgery, how you outcome out of that surgery, and when your testosterone's low, that risk goes up. 
So there's a, you know, bone density goes down. And, and similarly for women, um, issues happen. And it's, and it's because, you know, they're not, hormones aren't supposed to plummet. First of all, when you hit menopause or you hit, you know, andropause, we're supposed to be put at the elders table. Meaning when you hit 52, uh, you're supposed to be put at the elders table and served by everybody. Well, I got to tell you, I'm 60 and I still not getting served. Uh, and, and so I think it's important to understand part of, I think Doreen, don't you think part of the reason that sex hormones became so popular is that people were kind of pushing for an active lifestyle later and later and the void of low sex hormones kind of seeps the vitality and their self-esteem and then leads to conditions and we're trying to live longer and have to work harder. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. But as we'll talk about the importance of giving uh, hormones is understanding an individual's what I call detoxification footprint or thumbprint Uh, and how they deal with hormones, how their body deals with hormones, how they metabolize hormones, uh, how, how healthy is their gut, how healthy is their HPA axis or their stress axis. All of that's going to impact how well the quote unquote, the new vitality hormones work. Yeah. And, and that's a, I want to get into that because I think, you know, in very bare bones, is what you're saying is even though you might be giving yourself something, whether it's through pill or injection or however you're doing it, it doesn't mean that you're, you're going to get the, uh, these, all these positive effects that we're talking about. <laughs> well, not only that, not only might you not get positive effects, you could well, get negative. Effects. Yeah. yeah. You could literally, you could increase your risk for throwing a clot or an embolism. If you're a male taking testosterone or too much testosterone, Got it. You know, you, you know, if you're, if you're a woman and you're taking uh, and you get excessive with, you know, your, your estrogen stores, cause you're not metabolizing it off and getting rid of it after you utilize it. That leads to, you know, things like estrogen dominance, which can be weight gain and can cause all kinds of other health conditions. Got it. So, yeah. It's not just, are you getting good? It's, are you doing something bad? Cause yeah. I want to make this point. I know we talked about this before we got started. Taking hormones is not like taking a supplement, walking into the health food store and buying it. Hormones are incredibly powerful and they need to be managed by, by, you know, a healthcare provider who knows what they're doing with them. Yeah. And and that's one of the things I'm seeing, you know, I've seen, like I said, I've seen clinics pop up all over and and they're not, some don't, you know, they're, there's nutritionists or clinical nutritionists and just maybe, maybe they know what they're doing. Maybe they don't, you know, and you know, some of those stigmatisms that come around with it, but I want to hit on that before we move forward too, is because, you know, back in the day it was, you know, there's testosterone, you hear that because it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a bodybuilder. So there's that aspect, but, and then there's the whole other aspect. Oh, the only reason why you're taking testosterone is because you're having issues with sex and, and performance. And, you know, obviously that's, you know, that's definitely like you were saying, all these other benefits that if you are balanced out and you have what we'll call optimal, and we'll talk about that next, um, that they can have for you. Uh, is that correct? Anything you could add there too? That's exactly right. Yep. Awesome. Well, you know, one of the things we talked about, you know, just the different types of stresses and how those things negatively impact this balance, uh, food, obviously one thing, you know, if we could spend a little bit of time on is how does alcohol impact that? Yeah. Bad. <laughs> One word is yeah. bad. Go ahead, Dory. Yeah. <laughs> just bad. Yeah. But how good can you go into, you know, what, what's happening and why? And you know. 
Go ahead, Jim. Well, I mean, essentially, when you're depending on how much alcohol you're drinking, the the actual uh, metabolism or production of hormones actually goes down, and you can start to disrupt how your hormones get metabolized through the liver, because uh, a lot of what happens is you're processing these hormones, and you have to either you know utilize them and then package them up and get rid of them. But actually, what's going on is when you're drinking alcohol, you act if you're excessive, right? When you, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, you disrupt the microbiome. And when you disrupt the microbiome in the gut, you alter uh, both the signaling for hormone production, but also the management of the metabolism of, of hormones. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, and so you, you both have mentioned the gut and its impact. Um, could you spend some time talking about, you know, cause again, a lot of people might just say, Hey, just give me, give me some, you know, some type of hormone. And yet there's another part of their metabolism that's off, you know, specifically let's call it the gut. So, you know, do you fix ahead, the gut go first ahead. or, you know, how, how do you go about that? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Doreen. I think this would be great. I'll just add color to it after, after you, I think uh, we both love this topic, but you go ahead and hit this one. Well, you know, nobody knows how to define a healthy gut microbiome. We certainly know how to define an unhealthy gut microbiome, but the actual composition, we know that it should be greater than 90% what's called formicides and bacteroidetes. But in reality, the biggest thing for most people is getting people to poop, especially women. So if they don't poop, what happens is hormones recirculate and you can't get rid of excess hormones. In addition, there are bacteria in the gut when the gut is healthy that modulates how much systemic estradiol and testosterone uh, one has available to them. And so eating a poor diet, eating, um, for example, a high saturated fat diet, what winds up happening is the gut becomes permeable. And as a result of that, the body, uh, what happens is that part of a bug's back wall kind of translocates across and it's called LPS. And that leads to something called metabolic endotoxemia. And when that happens, that triggers an entire inflammatory cascade, which indirectly and directly inhibits testosterone production and can inhibit spermatogenesis in a male. And in a woman, it impairs ovulation and impairs progesterone uh, formation and release, which will lead to increases in osteopenia, osteoporosis, and uh, fragility fractures. So really having a healthy gut microbiome is really important to not only processing hormones, but to also having them work efficiently because that inflammatory cascade turns everything off. Got it. Now to be clear there, because I think if people are kind of coming in and out of this conversation and, and maybe not hearing you mentioned saturated fat causing that, but that's not the only, like that doesn't, there's not a direct with saturate. Is it the amount? Is it uh, what else is happening? Or are you saying that saturated fat can, is the cause of that? Yeah, it's one cause. 
It's yeah. one cause. Absolutely. Alcohol is another cause. Got it. I you know, eating and Jim can talk about this, uh, you know, when it comes to diet, how, do you, you know, what kind of a healthy diet will lead to gut repair and gut maintenance. Got it. So, Go, Jim. Good. Yeah, no. So, I mean, the big thing is, is sure, it's a high sugar, high refined carbohydrate, high sugar or high saturated fat diet. All three of those are known to lead to elevated lipopolysaccharide release. And that, and basically to reiterate what Doreen said, the gut uh, bacteria break down and then the wall of the, of the bacteria, uh, it, it releases this lipopolysaccharide and that lipopolysaccharide is supposed to get filtered out by your liver and your lymph. And when you overwhelm that, it circulates and attaches everywhere. And as Doreen said, it wreaks havoc in all tissues and affects hormone production, insulin resistance, thyroid function. But the, but the, but the point is, is there's a lot of people doing ketogenic diets nowadays. Exactly. Well, and that's, that, that was you know, kind of where I was I going <laughs> is, is with those ketogenic. So uh, are you saying that, that, that potentially, if you're doing a ketogenic diet and maybe you're, mm-hmm. you're supplementing with some form of testosterone or anything like that, that there's a risk there? Um, or are you saying don't do that at all? Well, I think you could do like you could do ketogenic diet short burst. I don't. I mean, I've seen enough people now over the last ten years doing ketogenic diets that, you know, I just don't see their chemistry working out for them. They they get thick headed after a while. They get. I mean, some of some people get colitis. Even they they they, they create inflammation in their gut, and nobody wants to believe it on the ketogenic side. But my problem is, is I got patients every day that come into me that I see this stuff happening. It's not everyone. It depends how long they've been on it. And one of the principal reasons is there's not enough fiber in it. So when you think about how much fiber you need to really help your body metabolize just estrogen, for example, you should be taking in about 40 grams of fiber a day, maybe 50. And and so if you're going to do that, that means with a serving of vegetables being two grams of fiber per serving, fruit, two grams of fiber per serving, uh, tell me how many people are eating 25 servings of uh, vegetables and fruit a day. And the vegetables should be four to one over the fruit. So, you know, more like, you know, 20 <laughs> servings, 22 servings of vegetables and two or three servings of, of fruit. That isn't happening. You got to take fiber. Like when I'm teaching about hormones, I tell people, look, before you start right, getting your script pad out and putting pellets in people and doing injections, start having them take fiber every day. They've got to eat fiber. They have to eat a lot of plant-based foods, lots of vegetables, things that are high in resistant starch like artichokes, dark leafy greens, a little bit of gluten-free oatmeal, you know, quarter cup here and there is okay too. But you got to, like I use sunflower fiber. I use sun fiber uh, because it's known to bind up circulating endotoxin. And you know that your hormones get metabolized correctly. And we give that, you know, 20 grams a day to people. Wow. Got it. Well, let me just, Jason, let me just say as somebody who lived on a ketogenic diet for many, many years, I can tell you it is not healthy. It breaks down the gut microbiome. The gut needs complex carbohydrates, not simple carbohydrates to feed itself. So it needs what Jim called resistant starch, cold potatoes, That doesn't mean you don't cook it. You cook it, you put it in the refrigerator, you eat it. A green banana. 
you know, things like that, that will feed the gut microbiome because my patients now, I don't, if somebody wants to do a ketogenic diet, I give them permission for a month. After that month, when they start that weight loss, then I start to teach them how to eat because you can't live on a ketogenic diet. And that's why people, when they go off, they gain a ton of weight and then they go back on it again because they're never learning how to eat and how to eat healthy. There's nothing wrong with complex carbohydrates, especially for athletes. Got it. You know, they need it for energy. And especially for hormones. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and to be clear, there's in, in, cause somebody might just be popping in is so many people mix ketogenic paleo whole third. Like th- th- sometimes they think that's all one and the same. And those aren't, those are not the same thing. You know, a, you know, from my understanding of paleo diet, you're eating basically non-processed foods. It's you're eating your vegetables, you're eating some meat, you know, you're eating, you know, a little bit of everything. And then, you know, obviously whole 30 is pretty much the modern day paleo. Right. Yeah, it just yeah, depends no, on different. when people and Jim, you could talk about this. When people talk about paleo, what do they really mean? Are yeah. they really talking about a paleo diet, you know, from the ground up, like root vegetables, or are they more talking about a ketogenic diet where they can eat all the exactly. eggs in the world that they want and all the butter that they want? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, there's clear distinctions. I know we're talking about yeah, hormones almost, don't yeah. dominate it with, with diet, sure. but the reality is, um, even with paleo, they can eat all the honey they want. Well, if you eat a lot of sugar from natural sources, you're right. going to run yeah. the same problem with your microbiome. So yeah. it's really about modified low carb, lots of vegetables, lots yeah. of vegetables, modest intake of legumes, grains that you can tolerate up to the amount of workload you do and watch the intake of sugar. And if, especially if you're genetically predisposed to saturated fat, that gives you a problem called yeah. APOE 3, 4, or 4, 4 gene SNPs. You got to take that sap fat out of your diet or you're going to plaque your arteries and you're definitely going to break your gut down. Got it. So well, anyway, that yeah. means your hormones are going yeah. south. Well, and, and, you know, again, I think a perfect segue here though, is so many people think that by taking hormones that that's all they have to do. They're, they're, they're okay. If they just take the hormones, they're going to lose weight and they're going to get muscle and they're going to be huge. And, you know, obviously that's, and, and healthy, you know, uh, that's not the case. So I think, you know, that ties in to, to that understanding, but, you know, to, to bring it back now, if you can be super clear and specific on, you know, what are the typical physical and mental side effects of having low sex hormones? Go ahead, Doreen. Well, in males, the primary symptom or the most common symptom in men over the age of 50, now testosterone deficiency can occur at any age. Especially given diets and alcohol and all of that. Yeah. But the most common symptom is erectile dysfunction. Got it. Now, mind you, erectile dysfunction is multifactorial. It's not just caused by hormonal insufficiency. It's mainly a vascular issue. Uh, And in women, they get hot flashes. They get night sweats. Uh, Women get vaginal dryness. Men feel like they're losing muscle mass. And a lot of guys will come and see me and say, doc, I can't perform and I'm losing my muscles. Those are the two things that guys tell me. Whereas women really wait. And most of them are either what's called perimenopausal, just about to be menopausal, or they are already uh, menopausal. 
But I think one of the important things for your listeners is to understand really what a a correct way of addressing hormone health is. Mm -hmm. When their clients are going to see a clinician, what that clinician should be doing before they even give them hormones. And, and then talking about when you asked or said, where does 500 come from that everybody talks about, you know, and really that number comes from the data that says when you get to a testosterone level above 500, you should see improvement in sexual function, muscle mass, and really men need to have an estradiol level between an estrogen level between 20 and 40 to maintain bone mineral density. So it actually came out of the literature. Now, that doesn't mean every guy is going to be okay at 500. I have some guys who need testosterone levels of 750. But before I give anybody hormones, I assess their stress axis and I look at how they detoxify hormones. Even if their hormones are low, you can see trends. So you know how to address their detoxification metabolism footprint so that when you give them hormones, they're going to metabolize them appropriately and they can get the biggest bang for their buck. They shouldn't just be going into a tea clinic or somebody who says, I do hormones. They need to go to a provider who specializes in hormone health. Got it. And and so, you know, I, you know, I think a lot of people say it's muscle and it's, it's dysfunction, but I also heard that there's a host of other just mental uh, immune system. Like, and and those are the things that I think really, I want the audience to understand because I think everybody, a lot more people associate the hormones with the things that we just talked about, but what other things with regard to mental health and mental wellness and, and energy and, you know, uh, obviously a big one right now is just your, your immune system and so on. So basically, we'll talk about testosterone first. Testosterone is a very, very potent immune modulator. It's an anti-inflammatory, very, very potent. So for example, what they have found, if you want to talk about just COVID for a minute, those guys who have had low testosterone levels, when they get COVID, don't fare as well as men who have, quote unquote, testosterone levels greater than 500. They are sicker. And their symptoms last, it's called the long COVID, you know, the residual of of COVID. The same thing for women. So both men and women get brain fog. They both feel tired. They can have no energy. They can even feel anxiety, depression. Uh, These are are, just to be clear. These are when your hormones are low. low. These are when your hormones are low. Um, but all of these are those nonspecific symptoms that nobody thinks about that are related to hormone. And one of the ones I see commonly is, you know, no get up and go. I don't feel like doing anything. I have brain fog. I just can't focus. You know, I just, just want to sit on the couch and be a potato. Yep. Yep. Well, it's funny too, because I think, you know, there's, you know, this whole, obviously in the training world, there's these, 
these very alpha trainers, I'm just going to bucket it there that look at clients and say, oh, you're just lazy and you're just, you know, you, you've got, you know, you're this, you're that. And, and there's mental, there's a, a, there's physical things going on that make it harder for certain people to be able to do certain things. And they, they just write that person off. Yeah, no. And that they should send them to somebody who knows what they're doing, especially if, if you see a guy who's got a bear belly, then, you know, and he's, I don't care what age he is. It could be a teenager. Then, you know, his estrogens are elevated and potentially, or, or you would think his estrogens are elevated and you think he has insulin resistance and his testosterone is going to be lower because it's that visceral fat that really converts testosterone to estradiol. And the skinny hormone leptin, which a lot of people don't talk about when people are fat and especially have visceral fat, leptin goes really, really high. And then the tissues become resistant to leptin. And so test and leptin also triggers the release of FSH and LH. So it's good for hormones. And what is that? What is FHS? That's what, that's one of those signaling proteins from the brain that sends the signal and says, I want testosterone. Release uh, testosterone. It's luteinizing hormone is LH and follicle stimulating hormone Got is it. FSH. Okay. And so when you get a head trauma, that's another thing that people don't realize. If you get a head trauma or a gonadal trauma, if you're a man, mm-hmm. it can turn off your brain's ability to release LH. And now all of a sudden, you're just not getting a signal to, to for your gonads to turn on testosterone production and you could, you got that head hit 20 years ago and it's just expressing itself now when you're maybe yep. in your mid forties, it could be God. 20 years later, you had a TBI, you know, maybe you had a concussion in football or you got in a car accident or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so it's just, it's important to understand that your brain is signaling your body to make these hormones. The more stress you get under, the more trauma you get under, the older you get, your body doesn't want to, it doesn't release these signaling compounds as efficiently. And yet we still want to maintain our self-esteem, our potency, our desirability, our muscle mass. Wow. You know, we, we want those things as we're aging. Uh, and that, and you want to, and, and that's the look at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. I mean, we're the forerunners in talking about hormone replacement and teaching physicians. So we're big, you know, it's, it's about understanding that you said what's more than just the muscle and the sex. Well, yeah, of course it is. Because when a man's testosterone goes low, it's, they get the whatever syndrome. Hey, you want to go to a football game? Uh, I have to get in the car and, you know, then I got to get dressed to go to it. (laughs) I don't know. I think, I think I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. Right. It's that whatever syndrome. And, and so it's so important to understand that in women, same way, right, Doreen, when their estrogen yep. at menopause, when their estrogen goes down, they'll even tell me, I've had women tell me that they felt like a switch got turned on their brain, that they literally changed the way they processed, the way they thought, they got more agitated easily, their mood changed more easily, um, not just as much able to experience joy, uh, sleep issues. And so it, it's really for for, you know, when we talk about hormone health, it's just like, if I told you, 
would you want to be insulin resistant or be a diabetic? Well, of course you wouldn't. Would you want to be resistant to your hormones or not have enough of the sex hormones? Well, no, because they signal and do a lot of good for your body, right? So, but at the same time, there's people that do too much and now your receptors get gunked up. It's called tachyphylaxis, right? You get people overdoing hormones. And I see yeah, that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so uh, before, I don't want to, I, I do want to spend a little bit time talking about females and you did, but you know, what are some of those other things from a female perspective? Cause we spent a lot of time on the, on the fellows um, that, you know, that they're feeling. And, and then obviously I'd love to, to get an understanding of how, how testosterone, if that's what you're giving them or whatever hormones that you prescribe um, to help them. It's the same exact thing. They okay. feel the same exact thing as guys do. Got it. Um, except there is a very, see the difference between guys who over time lose testosterone and women who become menopausal, all, it's all of a sudden, it's like hormones are gone. And so it's much more dramatic when a woman becomes menopausal. It's like hormones were there a week ago and now they're gone. So, and so they feel the same exact thing. Now, is that, is that something that, you know, obviously when integrated doctors are, are looking at labs a little bit earlier, I would say before a, a bigger symptom potentially occurs, is it that, or do they really just one day just drop off that quickly? I mean, and well, that what I'm saying is you could, if you're doing some more tests throughout your time, you can catch some of that a little bit earlier. See, the problem, you know, here's the problem. You can't give or you should not give a woman who's still cycling estrogen, right? Because you don't want to give her too much estrogen yeah. because yeah. then you can uh, set her up for endometrial uterine uh, dysplasia and hyperplasia and, and endometrial cancer. Got it. Um, and so you really have to watch. And the definition of menopause is a woman has to not cycle for a year. Now, do I wait a year before I give somebody hormones? Of course not. Of course not. But I watch their estradiol levels and the serum safe zone is 20 to 40. That's when a woman doesn't have vasomotor symptoms like hot flashes and night sweats and their bones are protected. So as long as their estrogen is between 20 and 40, I will give them sometimes progesterone to help them sleep and I'll give them testosterone. Because a lot of times testosterone falls. And then I watch because everybody converts testosterone to estradiol. Men do it. That's how men get estradiol exclusively. But when the ovary stops working, peripherally, women can convert testosterone to estradiol. So I, I don't have to give her estrogen to keep her estradiol between 20 and 40 and make sure she's asymptomatic. And so that's the art of hormone therapy is the goal is to improve outcomes. And I will tell you, a woman who has low estrogens and you keep it in that 20 to 40, you are going to prevent heart attacks because postmenopausal women with really low estrogens have an increased risk of heart attacks. And when you get that estradiol level in that 20 to 40, you will prevent heart attacks. Now, in men, the data is clear. Testosterone does not cause heart disease. Does not. 
The study is ongoing right now as to whether replacing testosterone decreases the risk of heart disease. And I suspect it will because it improves all the metabolic parameters, which sets somebody up for cardiovascular disease. Which back in the day, you know, a long time ago, I remember hearing about, you know, hormones and different things like that. That was the the biggest risk is you're going to have a heart attack. Nope. If you, if you take it, um, take it there... from a cardiologist, yeah. take it from a cardiologist. It's not gonna... Now I'm talking yeah. about physiologic dosing and yes. I'm talking yeah. about, you yeah. know, excessive healthy levels. I'm not talking about super physiologic <laughs> levels and dosing like you saw with anabolic steroids and yeah. bodybuilders and all of those guys. Exactly. It's for the health. Now I also heard something in regards to, uh, people that have a certain level of testosterone uh, have a significant reduce or very little uh, risk of cancer. Is that, if you heard, is that true or too general of a statement or? Uh, no, that is true. Uh, the data on prostate cancer, they right. used to think testosterone caused prostate cancer, but mm -hmm. when they looked at all of the studies on prostate cancer, what they found was the guys who had the lowest testosterone levels had the highest risk of prostate cancer. Guys who had normal testosterone levels, meaning over 500, did not have an increased risk of prostate cancer. And what people need to understand is that the prostate has a saturation point. If a guy's testosterone is below 250 and you give him hormone, his PSA, that monitoring of prostate, will go up until, you know, it hits about 250. Above 250, your PSA should not go up just uh, other than a titch. If it goes up a lot, that then that should be addressed. But no, testosterone does not increase prostate cancer. But I, don't, but I think one of the things Jason said, I want to be clear, I haven't seen where testosterone has this all-cause immune support to prevent cancers. Um, well, no. But what they found is those guys with intrinsically normal testosterone levels have a decreased risk of prostate cancer compared to men whose testosterone levels are lower. So no, you're not going to give testosterone to a guy and tell him you're going to decrease his cancer risk. Yeah. No, you're not going to say that. Right. That's the thing yeah. I want to make yeah. sure it's clear. Perfect. But, but I'm glad you went into both. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So same so we, thing with women. Same. You're not going to give her hormones to decrease her cancer risk. Yeah. Got same it. thing across the board. Okay. So we talk normal. Can you, can you go into just some general numbers of, you know, what is normal, you know, and, and I guess does normal really dictate by age? Because, you know, I guess if there's a difference between normal and optimal for, for men and, and females, can we get into that? Yeah, sure. For men, it's easier because they only have one hormone and that's yeah. testosterone. Whether you're young or uh, 60 or 70, greater than 500, is you where you want to be. Not real old people, the way you said that, whether you're 60 or 70. Yeah, because remember, Jim, I'm over 60. I'm over 60. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, wow, yeah, no, yeah. wait a second. Yeah, but, no, I was very careful. Um, yeah. But, but the, the number is only, a couple minutes. Yeah. yeah, over 500 for a Not, guy. You got it. All right? The, Testosterone should be over 500 to get health benefits. Got it. And is there, where, where is the, 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 highest upper level of that. You don't want it greater than a thousand. 
Got it. Okay. The sweet spot is typically 500 to 800. But without getting into genetics or, you know, genomics and receptors and all of that, some guys do need a testosterone level around 750 to 900. Got it. Got uh, it. But 1,000 is your threshold. Okay. And what about female? Estradiol level should be between, now I'm talking about postmenopausal women yeah. because premenopausal, they're going to be up and down all over the place. Yeah. Um, postmenopausal women, you want her estradiol to be 20 to 40 picograms per mil and, uh, progesterone. You want it to be, if you're now it's very hard oral progesterone. You can't measure if someone's taking oral progesterone, if they're using vaginal progesterone, you want it at the lower end of the luteal phase about six, seven, eight. And that's what I recommend. Got it. And the reason I recommend vaginal progesterone is because it bathes the uterus, which you're trying to protect from the effects of estradiol. Got it. And then when you're, when, if you're giving testosterone to a female, um, is there a level that they should? Oh yeah. Well, actually they say in order to see now the data on women and testosterone is pathetic. Uh, if okay. I can use that word, but what the, cause there's no FDA approved testosterone for women. So it's all compounded and all off label. Okay. So if you're using a cream, they recommend the up going towards the upper limit of normal in the reference range, because so that, you won't see benefit. Be around unless, what, 30, 35 to 45 during. Oh, um, it's um, higher than that. It, it, today it's about uh, 65, I think. For a woman, if you look at LabCorp or you look at Quest and you look at L- their LCMSMS assays, you want to take it to their upper limit of, of normal, whatever that may be. Got it. Got it. Cool. Well, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, a lot and I really appreciate it and I want to be respectful of time, but I, I would like to just talk about a couple things um, with regard to risk. And then the other thing is, you know, obviously you mentioned there's pellets and there's, there's all these different injections in, in oral. Um, if you can get into kind of what the recommendation is, or is it just straight preference? Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's go back into, you know, risks. And then, you know, one other thing too, is, you know, with men, and I, I believe in females too, there's certain, uh, you know, hormones, obviously, if you're converting differently, you're going to increase estrogen, you mentioned in, in a man. So what things should be taken or can be taken to help, you know, fix that? If, you know, obviously, you've got to work on your stress and all those other things as well. Well, the first thing you want to do is get baseline labs and baseline urine to look at how they detoxify. And basically, depending on how they detoxify will help determine what nutraceuticals. But to prevent, you know, conversion of testosterone, first of all, you don't want to give a guy testosterone if his estradiol is 50, because that's bad. You want to get that estradiol down first, and that could be diet, exercise, weight loss will certainly make, uh, uh, will help. Right. And then, what'd you say, Jim? Zinc, just like something simple, like making sure he's got adequate zinc. zinc so, right. You no, know, he he has his aromatase inhibition intact, and he's not pumping all that test to est. Okay. Yeah, and and you know, if you need to, if a lot of it is going to the more powerful hormone DHT, you can give him uh, something that's got salt palmetto in it. Uh, you can give him dim 
which will is a weak aromatase inhibitor, but you and it's also a five alpha, I think, reductase inhibitor. So, but they're weak. But if you need something more powerful, then you're going to go to prescriptions like aromatase, uh, like uh, an astrazole. And I have yet to use finasteride in my guys because I'm able to get you know get control of, I, by decreasing inflammation, Jason. Yep. You will correct a lot of those things that you see to address some of those unwanted side effects because inflammation drives whether something goes to estradiol, whether something goes to the more potent uh, DHT. So before I start giving people a ton of supplements, because somebody could walk out with a bag of supplements, you really want to address the underlying etiology because if you don't, you're going to wind up giving them a ton of testosterone and they're not going to feel better. They're going to say, doc, I need more hormones. Doc, I need more hormones when Got they it. don't. Got it. So one other thing too, you know, I want to just talk about it quickly. If we have the time is regards to general supplements, like random people taking DHEA or some testosterone no. booster no. and all of that stuff. I mean, that stuff you can argue is probably more risk and unhealthy than doing it the right yes. way, obviously. Yes, I would not, 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 not have people take DHEA over the counter or without knowing where the DHEA is going. Because remember, it goes elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, DHEA typically doesn't stay as DHEA. It either gets sulfated to make it inactive or it can go to testosterone. It can go to estrogen. So you really have to understand their metabolism. So my answer to over-the-counter supplements, not under a doctor's direction, is no. Got it. Perfect. So, but most people, Jim, you can talk to this. Most people wind up needing a probiotic. Uh, Everybody's vitamin D is low. So they need to get their vitamin D checked and then, you know, make sure the level is 60 to 80 whether everybody needs fish oil or not depends on their genomics and what other general supplements, Jim? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously you can take something for stress. You can take something yeah. for sleep. I mean, some of the studies where they restored uh, testosterone in men and women using things like uricoma or Thai yeah. ginseng, that's because they acted at the HPA axis restored the nervous system signaling for normal hormone release and then their hormones go back to their normal self instead of just, uh, you know, replacing, you know, like, so when you're taking things like, you know, fenugreek or you're taking uricoma or you're taking taijinseng, any of those kind of things, many times they're not, it's not like you're making testosterone. Got it. So, so you can take those type of things. It's all the the androstene diones, exactly, and the yeah. three androstene dione diols, and <laughs> all those pro hormones. I haven't, I've, I've never recommended those, and I do not give DHEA to people unless I get a, a level on them. And then, you, especially in men, you got to watch because Doreen, how often do you see people they take DHEA if they're men and they just start making lots of estrogen with it? Yep. yep. They don't even make testosterone. They make estrogen. And they're like, wait a second. I thought I was doing anti-aging here. I thought I was going to get to be a strong man. No, you're going to, you're going to pound on some weight. If you're a man taking DHEA most of the time. Got it. And and then what are the risks of somebody, you know, obviously uh, maybe for another time, we could talk about 
kids and steroids and all that kind of stuff and, cool. and all the risks there. But, you know, even a male, maybe in their late twenties or thirties that, you know, are, are saying, I want to go and do this, you know, obviously some might make sense. Some might not, I don't, I don't know, but what are those risks, you know, of going at this potential thing too early? A young guy, less than 50, uh, who takes testosterone may forever lose his ability to make endogenous testosterone and to be fertile. Because when you give a guy testosterone, the testicles shrink. And because you're shutting off the brain, there's no reason to make sperm and there's no reason for the gonads to make testosterone. So one of the biggest complaints is my testicle shrunk. And that's why you got to counsel guys when you give them testosterone. I'm talking about guys over 50, yeah, 55. You got to counsel them as to that's going to happen. Young guys, the answer to testosterone, unless they have a primary reason, they got conked in the head and they don't send sig. I mean, they just have primary hypogonadism and you yeah. must give them testosterone. Young guys, the answer is no, never. Got it. And then even for the, let's say the, the 50 year olds, once you go on, are you pretty much, you're going to have to stay on or is that kind of how you got to kind of go about it? My experience has been, and Jim, you can speak to yours, is that when you try to take guys off of testosterone in order for their own HPA access to try and reset, because it can take three to six months, three to six months, if it's going to happen, they are miserable. And that's why I don't give testosterone, number one, until I am sure that they're going to use it for the rest of their lives. And I tell people, you are now committed to testosterone forever. Yeah. And what we didn't mention is a lot of times in people that are like, uh, you know, 30 to 50, we'll, you know, we'll use something called HCG or off label the fertility drug Clomid uh, because it stimulates the brain. We, We typically use HCG. If their luteinizing hormone is low, and their testosterone is low and they're 40 years old and maybe they got hit on the head or maybe they've been under a lot of stress. We're going to try and stimulate your own brain to tell your testicles to make testosterone. Takes a little more time. You know, we'll have people on it six months, year, but sometimes you can, you know, kind of kickstart the production and heal that, that, that network signaling that's going on by using, you know, HCG, which it is indicated for it. Uh, this is not off label. It's indicated yeah. for it. Uh, and, and then they can go off and maybe they start making their testosterone again. I know for a lot of men, we encourage, Hey, you should, if you're 35 years old or 40 years old, what are you doing starting on testosterone? Especially if you're planning on having a family still, or they're thinking yeah. about having another child, you want to move towards using, you know, HCG dosed accordingly followed so that you can see it. And I know you, um, Doreen mentioned it really quickly, but She's probably one of the top people understanding hormone metabolites, meaning that you can only get the metabolites of hormones in urine. So when, when you, when you look for how you metabolize your estrogen for a man or a woman, but even more importantly for a woman, because depending on how they go down their pathways of detox, Mm -hmm. because of the lack of fiber, because of their poor detoxification capacity in their liver and maybe genetics, they might make bad estrogen metabolites. 
And those bad estrogen metabolites lead to things like breast cancer risk, ovarian cancers, uterine cancers, weight gain, thyroid issues. It's not a small risk. And so you that's why it's important to understand, um, A, how am I going to make these hormones work in the body? And B, I'm going to follow them through their journey out the body. Because otherwise, that's how you get into trouble. Well, and you know, and I'm going to do the plug selfishly for you of, of just the importance of, of, of something like the metabolic code that, you know, if you do something like that, you know, it will give you a lot of that stuff. So you, you know, and it's, it's something that you can understand as a, as a person that we're trying to explain all this stuff to and, and right. people not it, understanding it, 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 things. Yeah. So. Yeah. It distills so. it down. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. And I got to tell you, uh, Doreen, one of the early times that I met Doreen was when we were teaching on the metabolic code. And, and uh, you know, uh, Doreen's, a, I would say, a fairly accomplished physician. Uh, and uh, I, I think it, it changed the way she thought. So, I mean, maybe Doreen, if you want to, you know, kind of just say something, that'd be awesome. Because I, I think it's important to organize your thoughts about what you're doing with your health. I got to tell you, I took the, I was in the first metabolic code class and I've been practicing cardiology and I'm very efficient and I'm really good at what I do. But when I took the metabolic code, I said, geez, it just all came together. And before I transitioned my practice totally to a functional medicine practice, I, pra I used the metabolic code in my traditional cardiology practice and I'm boarded in vein disease in my vein practice. And then I transitioned over. Not only does the patient fill out a questionnaire and their labs go into the system, but it tells you where to start yeah. or what two things to start with. Cause you can't work on everything. The body just will say, eh, no way. And it will come up with a bunch of um, nutraceutical supplements, whatever you want to call them, that are really uh, just designed for that individual patient. Yeah. And, and so you know that based on the patient's history and the patient's labs, you're getting what the patient needs. Awesome. And so it really, really is. It, it changed the whole way I practice. Yeah. It changed the whole way I look at medicine. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I can't thank you guys enough. And, and obviously this is such a a complex, but it's a hot thing right now. It's a hot topic. Uh, maybe it's just a West coast thing. Cause I'm out here in the West coast. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's everywhere. Um, it's everywhere. I think yeah. it's super important to one, go and find people who really understand what's going on um, in this space. And, you know, as a trainer or, you know, working with clients that have it, obviously there's, there's ways that you can help them. And as a general person out there, just trying to figure it all out and deciding, is this something you're going to go down? Hopefully we've been able to give you some good insight, understanding to what to look for if you go into a clinic randomly and, and things like that. So uh, I really appreciate your help. Anything else you guys want to leave us with? Have I mean, a happy I, holiday. Yeah, that's a biggie. And then I, you know, just the big thing, if you're going into a doc who's doing these types of, of uh, work of replacing hormones and they're not talking to you about your gut health and your stress and your detox pathways, you want to cancel that appointment. Yeah. <laughs> Put it that way. Just just yep. walk out. Say, hey, you know what? I'll pay you for your visit. I, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. You gotta you gotta pre-screen them. Hey, do you, you know, tell me how you approach hormones. You gotta, you gotta find that out because like I said, these are not dietary supplements. 
This isn't like doing an extra set of burpees. Yeah. These are powerful <laughs> compounds that really have dramatic effects in your body. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it can God, be positive. It can be yeah, incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're managed right, you're going to feel better, but it's about getting it managed right. Awesome. Well, well, thank you guys so much. And, you know, uh, I'm sure you're both will be a staple on the show here as the second episode already in the last couple of months. So thank you so much, Jim and Doreen. Great meeting you. Oh, and good thank to you meet for you your too. time. So you guys have a great day.